In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God. Good morning. I love it when the parables come around, um, and uh, there are about uh, 30 of them in the Gospels. Uh, I didn't do a Father Richard and tell you exactly how many there were, but um, uh, there are about 30 of them, a lot of them. And each of the parables is a story that Jesus himself would be telling. Uh, It usually begins, and the Lord spoke this parable. I love the parables. Um, The parables are, um, I'm often reminded when I see uh, my granddaughter Sydney reading uh, to uh, Luke and to uh, Noah and to Elias, uh, reading some little children's book to them, and the attention that is paid when, uh, when those stories are being told, even if the kids have heard that story multiple, multiple times, Every time they hear it, there's something new that's, that's clicking in those little brains. And in those little eyes, there's a brightness that's there that is just delightful, even though they have heard those stories many, many times. I love the parables. I love them like I love Jane Meyer's uh, children's books. Uh, those, those books that bring uh, profound mysteries and deep things of the heart uh, to the minds of children, and uh, to old priests also, as a matter of fact. And often it is a story that can get in where an idea cannot. Do you understand that? It is a parable that can penetrate in when all of our logical arguments and, and scholarly explanations of everything that we read can't quite get in a story can penetrate through the ribs and into the heart, spiritually speaking. I love the parables. Jesus usually begins them with something like, the kingdom of heaven is like. Now the kingdom of God isn't like the kingdom of the world. Kingdom of God is not like the kingdom of the world. The kingdom of, of God is not the new world order, It is not the global economy, for which we can all be grateful. The kingdom of God is in those. It exists in the world in those things, but it is not of them. The kingdom of God has a different king, and our king tells different stories from the ones that the kingdom of the world tells us. When you go on the internet, when you click on your TV, when you listen to popular music, the king of this world is telling you stories. And you can let them penetrate into your heart, or you can listen for the kingdom of God's stories from the king himself. So listen up. Now one of my troubles when I hear the parables and, and I don't know whether any of you all have this trouble. Um, I, I really have a lot of troubles that people have pointed out to me, and I, I work on them. And, um, um, but one of the ones that I know for myself, that I've observed in myself, is that when I hear one of the parables, my heart starts writing other people into the story. I hope none of you do this. But sometimes I'll say, 
oh, that person, um, that guy over there, I notice I'm not pointing <laughs> too directly, that guy over there, um, he's the seed on the rocky soil. And uh, oh, that uh, woman over there, she's the one who's all choked up by the thorns. And oh, that one back there, that's, uh, that's the one that the birds came and took. We tend to do that mostly with others. Do you get, get the point there? We write others into the story. We judge others in the story. But do we see ourselves? The parables have a cutting edge. They have a spear point, if you will, that is aimed right at my own heart. And I, if I don't let it get into my own heart, and not be a vehicle that I can judge everybody around me, then I miss the benefit that God intends in the parable for me. When we are in the grip of judging others, we miss the work that we need to do on ourselves. Now, it may be very similar to what someone else must do when they hear their story being, being told to them by God. But if we miss out on it and judge them, we don't get done what we need to do. What can we find in this parable? And more specifically, what can I find in this parable? This story that is so earthly and so practical. This is not some abstract theological sophistry. This is not some philosophical kind of a thing or a political thing or anything else. This is practical as the very earth on which we walk. What can I hear in this story that might convert my own heart? And I would submit to you in this moment that the parable is basic as dirt. The parable, and particularly this one here, is basic as dirt. Any of you who have put any time... Uh, and with me, it's kind of a blessed memory rather than time that I do right now. But any of you have ever, who have ever put time in your garden, quality time, where you're actually out there working it, where you're not just, like I often do on a late Saturday afternoon, running around madly mowing the lawn, madly making the place look good so that no one will think I'm a bad homeowner, and uh, most especially my family. Um, but if you have honestly put time into that plot of land that has been given to you, then you will find some things. One of the things you will learn is the joy, the simple joy of good dirt. Good dirt as compared to bad dirt. I don't know if I'm the only one who's ever done this, but there is a, a wondrous human delight in picking up dark, crumbly, loam soil with compost and fat, red earthworms in it. And if you've ever picked that up and smelled it, you almost want to taste it because it smells so good. It is so earthy, so wonderful, so very uh, celebratory of creation, that smell of good dirt. You can almost taste the corn and the peppers and the strawberries that are going to be growing up in it. You can almost taste them in the joy of the dirt. But good, fertile dirt doesn't just happen. 
in spite of what other bumper stickers might say, dirt doesn't just happen. <laughs> the gardener, the farmer, whose ground it is, the one who has been assigned that piece of earth, that little plot of earth, the one who has been assigned and given that plot, the farmer whose ground it is, he works it, he cultivates it, he nourishes it, and in a very real sense, he cherishes it. He cherishes it because he knows it has been given to him. And if he is truly wise, he might even know that one day he might be buried in it. He might know that he came from it, and he might be buried in it. What you learn with dirt is, is the very stuff of life. And as the gardener, as the farmer works the soil, he cooperates with the work of God. Our God who sends sunshine and rain. And this synergism, this synergia, this working together, this is the work that man was created to do, to work the garden with his God present with him, to meet his God in the cool day, in the cool morning, in the garden. That is the work that we were created for. As I read the Holy Fathers who have commented on the parable of the sower, I became convicted that I have been sloppy with the lesson of this work. Even if I might have been diligent years past to work in my garden, and even if I do it under compulsion right now, I have been sloppy with the work of which that work is an icon. That work which exists behind the work of the farmer or the gardener. That work on my heart. For that is what this parable is about. Many times my heart has been hard as rocky soil. Many times I have let the cares of this world entangle me like thorny weeds. And worse yet, not much time have I given to cultivating the plot that is my heart. This plot that has been given to me. That one small plot of ground in all creation that I am responsible for. I am not responsible to point fingers or to judge the gardener whose plot is next door or across the street. I am only responsible for my plot, that plot that I have been given. Now, if the ground is hard, if the weeds choke it, if there's no fence to guard it, if the uh, deer or the, uh, uh, the, uh, the raccoons get in there and mess it all up because I didn't keep the fence mended, if it's not worked on, it's nobody's fault but my own. And so too with my heart. If someone messes with my heart, I'm often reminded of what my dad said about temptation. He said if a bird lands in your hair and you brush the bird off, it's no problem, no harm, no foul. But if you let the bird stay in your hair and build a nest and lay eggs and use your hair for a toilet and begin to invite her friends there, then that's a problem. And it's nobody's problem but the one who didn't brush the bird off. 
and so too with your heart. It's if the weeds grow there, if it becomes hard, it's nobody's problem but the gardener, but your own, the one whose, whose field that is. You can't blame it on external circumstances and most, most certainly on your neighbor. Am I barren ground sometimes? Woe is me. How can I ever bear the fruit and deliver the harvest that is expected of me, that task which is my vocation in this life? When I see this failure in myself, and I know my failure, and my failure is ever before me. I know my sin, and my sin is ever before me. I, others will tell me about it, but I know it myself. I don't need it to be told to me. Do I then, when they tell it to me, or when I tell it to myself, when I know my failure, do I add despair to my sin? Do I not just take the failure, but do I add despair and despondency and depression to it? That depression which, which is, you know, I, am, I have so ruined it and there's nothing I can do. There's nothing that can be done. I'm ruined. Do we, and that, of all sins, is one of the toughest ones to root out because it's one you've really decided to do yourself if you accept that judgment about yourself. Now, it's okay to say, yeah, I really messed up, but you must do something other than despair about it. Do I accept the hardness that comes to my heart? Do I accept the thorns as if they are a predetermined condition of my nature? Or do I take up the struggle of cultivation? Do I rise early with trowel in hand to take up the cultivation? Can I do my part? And we each have a part to do in that. Relying on the grace of God to change the condition of the ground of my heart. We do the work, he does the work. He meets us in the garden, in the cool of the morning. As we cultivate, he cultivates in us by his grace. Bishop Dimitri of blessed memory uh, from the OCA, in his commentary on this parable, asked why the sower would sow seed where he knew it would bear no fruit. He answered this question with a reference from St. John Chrysostom. When the Lord sows the seed of the gospel, he makes no distinction between rich or poor, between wise or unwise, between slothful or diligent, between brave or cowardly. He does this because each of us can change. The slothful, the cowardly can change. Each of us can, I can change, now that I've named two of mine. You know, we can change. We can change. You slothful, you cowardly, you lazy. You can change. Every one of you can change. Do not despair over your sloth. Change it. Each of us can change. Each of us can repent. Each of us can be converted. While it, and Chrysostom goes on, while it is impossible for the rock to become earth, 
or the wayside not to be wayside, or the thorns to be thorns. With man, this is not so. If you are wayside, if you are stone, you can change. You can be broken up. You can become useful. In them, in man, in us, in me, it is possible for the rock to change and to become rich land, for the wayside no longer to be trampled upon, not to lie open to any and all that pass by, but it may be a fertile field, and the thorns may be destroyed so that the seeds can enjoy full security. We can change. I can change. You can change. Because of the work of Christ in our life, we can break up the hardness of our hearts. We can cultivate the ground of our hearts and prepare it for the gospel seed. But this takes repentance. It takes the water of many tears to grow a crop where there has been a desert. The whole creation is watching and waiting for us to fulfill the prophecy of Malachi that all nations shall call you blessed because you have become a desirable and fertile land. Am I up for doing my part in this? Are you up for doing your part? Can we do that part together to change the condition of the soil of our heart? Bishop Dimitri again says with force, it behooves all of us who seek and follow Christ to clear the ground of our souls, to take seriously the experience of the saints, who tell us how to deepen our faith by prayer, fasting, and good works, and to become convinced that it is impossible to lead a double life of service to God and service to the idols of the world. We cannot allow our hearts to become fertile ground for the things of the kingdom of the world. This ground is dedicated to the kingdom of God. This ground is dedicated to her king. All of our ground ought to be dedicated in such a way, not to the idols of the world. The fruit we shall bear, each one of us, is a gift from God that we will lift back to him just as the Israelites lifted back their first fruits. It is for joy that we grow this crop. It is for the salvation of many in need of this salvation that we grow this crop. We do not do it just to do it. We do not do it to be religious. We do it because it is the task we have been given by God. He planted the seed of the gospel in each of us. And he sees the vision. I've often said that a, a plowman is, is like a prophet. He sows the seed and he sees with vision ahead the crop that is going to be born. He could see the vision in each of you. Even if you don't see it, he sees it. This work is what you were created to do. And we must now, from this day forward, let it consume us. We can't have it be the second thing we do. It's got to be the first thing we do. Cultivate the soil of your heart. Prepare it for the seed of the gospel. And count on Christ to complete the harvest.
to the glory of God the Father. Amen.